Welcome to season four of Copy Room Conversations, releasing imperfection and normalizing joy. My intention in sharing these precious humans with you is to inspire you to let go, let down, and remember that joy is love without inhibition, and love without inhibition is joy. With joy, we will not only survive, we will remember what it is to thrive, and so will our kids. Big thanks to our sponsor, Dirt Path Publishing, a company dedicated to publishing works with social impact. They are also the publisher of my book, Nothing's Missing, released earlier this year. For more information about my book, visit nicoleluciani.com. And for more information on Dirt Path Publishing, visit dirtpathpublishing.com. In the meantime, and always, welcome to the copy room. Barrett Gordon is an author and coach of teachers from across the country. Her book, The Joyful Teacher, is a collection of tried and true strategies that empower teachers and help them create even greater impact in their classroom. Her other book, No More Fake Reading, offers solutions for boosting stamina, joy, and skills among adolescent readers. Whether running workshops, leading coaching sessions, or working in classrooms, Barrett strives to empower teachers so they can empower their students. Her sincerity and passion for this endeavor are evident within the first few minutes of the interview. So let's just start with like, where in the country are you? You're, you're in New England, is that right? Uh, well, I grew up in Vermont and I now okay. live in Maplewood, New Jersey, which is right next to okay. Newark and New York City. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so, so uh, and I, I'm also no longer in the classroom, but have taught mm-hmm. primarily in New York City. Also okay. in the Dominican Republic and oh, wow. um, a little bit in New England, but yeah, this mm-hmm. is where I am. Mm-hmm. So, and you taught high school? I did. I taught mm-hmm. high school. I loved it. Right. Mm-hmm. You, you all are those other crazy people where we actually enjoy teenagers. Oh, because of the best. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and now I do professional development in schools, and I'm all over the map. I now go into kindergarten classrooms, and it's so funny yeah. because. You know, so many people would talk to me, and I'm sure you heard this too, like, oh, teenagers, I could never work with them. And I thought the opposite. I thought, oh, little people, there's a lot of wiping, and I I don't know how to do that. (laughs) And I'm terrified going into a room of five-year-olds and trying to demo a lesson. And now I'm, I have to say, I love there hasn't been an age I haven't left. But. Same. Yeah. I always think like if I go back to the classroom, I might go to the littles this time because they're just mm-hmm. so charming to me. And maybe that's because I don't have to have them all day every day. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I still think, though, I, I will say my hat is off to those teachers who teach yeah. the students. I cannot yeah. believe what they what they manage in a day. Yeah. So yeah. so I, I grew up, though, in Vermont that might have been where you had the New England. I grew up in Vermont. I think so, yeah. And I was going to say rural Vermont, but that's redundant. All of Vermont <laughs> is pretty rural. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I grew up where you couldn't see another house from my house. And wow, you know, not not to brag, but I'm a really good milker. Oh, nice. <laughs> grew up near my grandparents' dairy farm. That's impressive. <laughs> yeah. So, so a lot of people know Vermont from, you know, it's like Ben and Jerry's and maple syrup yeah. and all those things are there. The foliage, it's beautiful. Uh-huh, but uh-huh. it's also very isolating because it's overall. Yeah. And there is a lot of poverty that isn't as obvious as now that I work and have taught in large urban districts with a lot of challenges and poverty. Uh-huh. But rural poverty 
it also brings similar challenges. And um, I grew up very privileged in, in a specific way that I grew up very privileged to grow up with readers. So mm-hmm. even though my grandparents had very little education, they, they were readers. They uh, took me to the library. I had mm-hmm. books in my house. Mm-hmm. And I read a lot as a kid. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't all great reading. I mean, I read, oh. <laughs> I read Sweet Valley Highs. Oh yeah, I read totally. Seventeen oh. magazine. Yeah, by Flowers in the Attic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but then when I was assigned books in middle and high school, like To Kill a Mockingbird or Scarlet Letter, mm-hmm. I read them. I read them. I just thought that's what you do. Didn't always yeah. understand everything, but I read it, and so. That was me. I, you know, was very lucky to grow up with also pockets of amazing teachers, and mm. I, I loved reading. I loved writing, and of course, I loved it in part because I got good at those things. Yeah. And so, fast forward 10, 12 years, I'm now in a classroom, and I have my own group of students. Mm-hmm. And I was so excited when it was time to read. I thought, oh mm. gosh, this is going to be great. They're going to say, oh, Miss Gordon, yay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know where this is going. Yeah, right? I do. <laughs> I fell flat on my face. Sure. Of course, it was uh, everything from avoiding reading and writing by sharpening pencils and going to mm-hmm. lockers to just more open, outright resistance and defiance. Mm-hmm. And my prep was six period. I knew exactly mm. what bathroom stall I could go to where I could cry. And no one could hear me. Mm-hmm. And I cried a lot on the way home when I, this was in New York City, I would walk home. And it wasn't, uh, it wasn't from lack of trying. I, oh, I no. tried so hard. Mm-hmm. And I remember there, you know how there's always a new initiative. No, the initiative yeah. of the year. <laughs> like, you know, the other year it was higher order thinking questions. Mm-hmm. Well, one of my first years teaching, it was group work. They had to mm-hmm. be in groups and mm-hmm. collaboration. Great. Love it. Believe in it. Mm-hmm. And I would put my students into groups, and it was like a dysfunctional Thanksgiving dinner. Totally, because no they know how to sit together, but they don't yeah. know how to work together. We no. seem to forget that stuff. And I had the mistaken illusion that because they were older people in these big bodies, that they knew yeah. how to include others or stay on a topic, and they didn't. No, they no. didn't talk to each other. They would each say one thing, and then they'd say, we're done. Yeah. And... um. And then I, and they would say that when they were writing too. I would say, okay, we're each gonna first line. How long? And I would say something like, okay, it's just a page. Yeah. And they would eke out two sentences, and they'd say, I'm done. <laughs> and I would say, I would say things like, a writer's never done. Mm-hmm. And I think some of them would wait until I turned around to say, a writer's never done. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah. totally ineffective. So. You know, I had a lot of failure starting uh-huh. out as a teacher. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd like to go back to those kids and ask them if they're okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's hard. And now that I'm working with teachers, I'm seeing that so many of us go through this hazing period mm-hmm. that seems so defeating. And, and not just a hazing period. I mean, I survived it. I got through it. I had more and more of those days that... My friends and I used to call our I taught today days. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And they started slowly outweighing the nothing happened and I feel like a hot mess day. Mm-hmm. But it took a long time. And yeah. I'm working with teachers now. And, you know, again, veteran teachers, newbies, 
they're struggling. And what worries me so much and why I love that you're thinking about this idea of prioritizing joy mm-hmm. is that burnout is part of the pandemic. We're having a pandemic yeah. of burnout among teachers who are working tremendously hard. Yeah, yeah. And what I found fascinating when I started researching burnout, because so many teachers I'm working with, hardworking, incredible educators mm-hmm. are feeling mm-hmm. burnout. And I f- realize burnout isn't a result of hard work. We, we mm-hmm. wouldn't have chosen teaching if we were scared of hard work. Um, right, right. It's, right. it's not hard work leads to burnout. It's when you're working really hard and you're not sure whether or not you're having an impact. You just yeah. don't feel like you're moving the dial. Yeah. And that is leading to, I think, very often this, this lack of joy in teaching. Now, my book is called The Joy of Teaching. I, I felt like I had the, the terror of teaching for, for so many years. Oh, and, sure. Right? Yeah. And that's not sustainable when we're coupling it with the challenges of teaching in a pandemic. Mm-hmm. And as you mentioned, post-pandemic. Yeah, yeah. There's no, oh, we're back to normal and now everything's easy breezy. It is just as hard, if not harder. And and so what uh, what I really care about now that I get to work with teachers, who are my favorite people in the world. Mm-hmm. I come from a family of teachers. My mm. husband is a high school teacher. Mm-hmm. I care deeply that teachers can feel effective and of course, a lot of that is that they are effective. Yeah, yeah. And that yeah. they don't feel like they're working really hard without moving the dial. Yeah. And so I don't know that joy is necessarily like, oh, I'm, it's not like, oh, I feel like I'm sitting on a beach with a margarita and a right. foot massage, no, right? No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that feeling of, I taught today, you know, that mm-hmm. we have a lot of those days. Um, so, so that's really my priority. Yeah. Um, well, and. Reading your book, it was so interesting. I was fascinated because when I got the book, I was like, whoa, this book is huge. Like I was not expecting it to be that big. And then I'm looking and I thought, oh, I thought this whole book was just going to be chapter one. <laughs> but the book, it really get in, gets into, it's so comprehensive and gets really deep into pedagogy. So we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. Let me go back to kind of your teaching years. Um, when you think about your time teaching, and I had a very similar experience in that the first five years I wanted to quit. I mean, the first two years, every day I wanted to quit. The, the year three and four, I wanted to quit every couple of days. And then years five to 20, it was just on Sundays. <laughs> um, and part of that is, you know, my internal makeup. I'm super empathetic. I'm pretty introverted. And so to be a high school teacher, like I was in bed at 745 every night. But the other part of it, like you said, was, am I making a difference here? And I did feel after five years, I could say every day, I could look back at some part of the day and say what I did mattered, at least in that minute, you know. But that came from a lot of learning from my kids and their families. And I had to orient myself to be a learner. Otherwise, I was just going to feel like a punching bag, right? So what do I have to learn here became kind of my mantra of every time I I hit something that was hard. So I'm wondering what the hardest or among the hardest things you've had to learn in your teaching Mm -hmm. years. And then maybe how did it make you stronger for other parts of your life in addition to the classroom? I love that question. 
There are so many hard lessons I had to learn, but what I recall the most are the lessons I learned as a result of a coach who came to my classroom every uh week, Andrea Lohenkopf. She was wonderful. And I have to admit, I did not love it at the time. I Mm -hmm. was thrilled if she had to be called into another meeting. I felt a load off because it was hard to be scrutinized is what it felt like. But she absolutely changed me from, you know, a mediocre on a good day to having a lot of good days teaching. So the thing that would happen, though, she would come in and she would give me feedback. And I remember one day I was circulating among students and I was giving them feedback. And she said, so are you avoiding anyone when you give feedback? Oh, what a good question. Oh, my God. I, of course, said because I felt alarmed that of course I was but I said no no I don't avoid anyone and she said oh come on you know are there any students that you're not really sure about and I said no I I like them all equally Andrea I go to them all equally (laughs) and she goes come on Barrett yeah who do you wish would get mono and be out for three weeks yeah 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 that's such a good question and I said yeah that whole table of boys Mm -hmm. in the back Mm -hmm. who were uh openly hostile and resistant to a lot mm-hmm. of what I was doing. And she said, I want you to go to them. And I said, mm-hmm. good idea. I will. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I sort of mm-hmm. circled over to a table of very compliant students. And she said, no, mm-hmm. I, I mean now. I mean now. Go to them. Wow. And she said, I want you to go to them. And I want you to talk to them. But more than talk, I want you to listen. Mm-hmm. And I want you to find something that you can compliment each of them on. Mm-hmm. But it can't be a BS compliment. Because right. kids, even young kids, sniff that out. It oh, can't sure. be, I'm so glad you brought your pencil today. Yeah, yeah. And so I did. I went to them, and it was uncomfortable. But mm-hmm. I talked, and I listened a lot. And she said, when I come back next week, I also I want you to be able to tell me several good things about each of them. Wow. And that was a hard assignment. Mm-hmm. But I did it. And, of course, I found out these kids were fascinating of course. And curious and mm-hmm. had incredible background knowledge, just not in the content that I had valued. Right. Whether it was skateboarding or anime or punk rock, they had mm-hmm. a lot to offer. Mm-hmm. And I'm still Facebook friends with them, and it's 25 oh, years that's later. Oh, so cute. Yeah. And I think she really helped me to see that every kid wants to feel like school is their home. Every kid wants to feel like they belong mm-hmm. and that they're valued. And I think of that now that I work more with teachers and with students. Uh, sometimes I hear administrators sort of pulling their hair out. They're feeling at their wit's end or teachers might be somewhat resistant. And I, I think of that, that no teacher wants to show up every day to a place where it doesn't feel like they're valued right. and like this isn't where they belong. Mm-hmm. So I think... I think of that as a, you know, I parented teens mm-hmm. and I'm, I did learn, you know, you need to get your self-esteem elsewhere. Oh when my you're... gosh, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I think one day I walked into the room and my daughter was in there and we hadn't even had an argument. Everything was just neutral. And she just saw me and she rolled her eyes and she went, <laughs> Ugh. <laughs> And I thought, you know, you just, can't you just have to find ways to love them yeah whether I was loving that group of boys in the back Mm -hmm. and and I know that sounds it sounds cheesy but I really 
do this. Even when I walk into a building and I work Mm -hmm. in a lot of schools and districts now and I'll be sitting in the parking lot and I get a little anxious. I'm in the parking lot and I've never been in this building before. Or I walk into like a huge conference room. I'm doing a keynote presentation. There's like hundreds of people and I think, I freeze up and I think Mm -hmm. walk into that room with love. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I do mean it. I genuinely feel it for teachers. Uh, And so I I believe in that. I really believe in that and finding ways to care about and help every kid or teacher feel feel seen and valued and also really to set them up so they can feel good at what they're doing. Yeah, right, right, right. I don't think that feels cheesy at all because um, you're not just talking about marshmallowy love, right? No. This is hard love. Yeah. That coach that sent you to that table, she was not playing, right? No. And she wouldn't have done that if she, one, didn't love those kids, and two, didn't love you, right? Right. And that that was the exact right thing to do. And it gave you a skill and it built your muscles to be able to go again and again up to situations that are worrisome Mm -hmm. and know, like, if I see these humans as humans, right? Mm -hmm. These are individual humans. I remember in my early years of teaching, I had a moment like, oh, wait a second they all have an internal dialogue just like I do. I I was like 21 years old when I started teaching. So I was like really problematic. But um, yes, I, you know, they're, they're all humans and the assets Mm -hmm. and the skills and the funds of knowledge they come with, they're, you know, infinite. It just, like you said, may not match school. Mm -hmm. And that's what we need to kind of widen our view about what counts. And I think we need to widen our view about what counts as loving someone. Mm -hmm. Because it's not one size fits all. It's not soft and squishy. And like, of course, Mm -hmm. it includes nurturing, but it also incur it's rigorous. Love is rigorous. So part of this thing about belonging that I think is so important is helping people see what's their piece to our puzzle. Right. When I think about the interlocking wheels of a school, we all have to do our part or those wheels will get stuck. And so part of what we need to help each other remember is what is our part? Because in the sea of a system that was not built for all kids, that was not built for all teachers, that was not built for the century, right? It's easy to feel like if I left tomorrow, somebody else would just fill my spot, right? Mm -hmm. So what do we do that's special? So I I wonder when you think about your time, either as a teacher or your time now, when you think about the puzzle that is our schools, what's your piece that, that you could put down on the table? And if everybody else put their piece down on the table, we'd have a full picture. My piece would be that I might tell you hard things mm-hmm. and actually probably less telling you hard things. I might ask some hard questions, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I'm here for you. Mm-hmm. I've got you. I've got your back. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to help you. Mm -hmm. And the hard questions I pose are questions that still set you up for success. Mm -hmm. I would never say to a student who isn't even writing yet, Mm -hmm. well, let's talk about counter argument and you citing your sources. Right. (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. just, how else could I alienate that kid even Mm -hmm. faster? Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think the piece that I bring is that teachers know I am going to expect a lot Mm -hmm. because it's what is going to help them stay in teaching is to feel effective Mm 
mm-hmm. but I also really meet them where they're at. Mm-hmm. And I really, really do have their back. Mm-hmm. I'm on their side. Mm-hmm. That's lovely. It's like, um, you know, we talk about being warm demanders for our kids. And really, I think teachers need the same thing. Mm-hmm. They need someone to love and nurture and support them and also talk straight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's lovely. Thank you for sharing that. So I found you in my research for this season because you literally wrote, I don't know if it's the book, but it's definitely a book (laughs) on joy, the joyful teacher strategies for becoming the teacher every student deserves, which is so awesome. Tell me what brought you to this writing this book, because like I said, it's super comprehensive. There's classroom management, there's pedagogical practices, there's assessment, there's ways of being. It's like practical and what you do and how you do it. So tell us what brought you to this book and what was your intention for writing it? My intention really was to help teachers, again, feel good and be good at teaching. But I think that's everyone's intention, right? I'm not singular in that approach. Everyone wants that. But what I was noticing so often when we come into, when we meeting people providing professional development or administrators or whatever coaching that we provide teachers, very often it is uniform. We're sort of presenting this one big initiative and we're helping Mm -hmm. everyone get there. And there's not always a lot of teacher choice or autonomy. And what I have come to believe is, much as you just were mentioning, that what works for kids is mm-hmm. what works for teachers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what I found worked for kids was, first of all, to, to meet them where they're at, mm-hmm. right? I'm, I want you to achieve really great things, but I'm going to give you a ladder to get there. Right. It's not a high bar you're going to jump over with your hands tied behind your back, right? right, right? right. It's going to be a ladder. Whatever rung you're on, I'm going to help you go up one rung at a time. Mm-hmm. And the other thing we know research says works for students is when they have a say mm-hmm. in what they want to get better at. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they add their voice to the goals that they're forming, tremendous mm-hmm. increased sense of motivation to mm-hmm. get better at that goal. And then, of course, the other thing that we know works for kids is to have really explicit strategies to get better at a goal. Right, right. And I learned that by default, right, that when I would say things like, oh, elaborate on your writing by adding detail, they didn't know what that meant. Yeah. Or if I said, read with a picture in your mind, I'm not doing that, but you're not telling me how to do that. Yeah, right, right. So strategy instruction is that really I'm going to break down the work of a skill. Mm-hmm. And very often, I think teachers hear skills they need to improve at, things like giving feedback or having them collaborate or um, management, mm-hmm. right? you got to mm-hmm. manage the kids and mm-hmm. hear a few quick things. But strategy means I'm going to give you options. I'm going to give you multiple choices of strategies that can help mm-hmm. you get better at that goal. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to break it down step by step so you have something really concrete to try. Mm-hmm. And of course, we need to model that. The strategies mm-hmm. have to be current. Mm-hmm. They have to be culturally responsive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They have to be backed by a lot of research. Mm-hmm. And so the other thing that I know research says is that very often what we fall back on as teachers is the way we were taught. Totally. Yeah. And it's not that we're lazy or we're ignorant. No. It's that when you're tired and you're stressed, you rely yeah. on what you know best. Totally. And Mm -hmm. what you know best is the way you were taught. Mm -hmm. And it's not that our teachers didn't know what they were doing, but they were doing the best that they knew according to the research at the time. Yeah. 
Yeah. Research has changed. My thinking has changed tremendously in the last Mm -hmm. two years, even Mm -hmm. on how to really work toward more culturally responsive teaching, for instance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we have to be drawing on that new research and those strategies that are based on that new research. So, so the book is really designed on how to um, choose a teaching goal Mm -hmm. that speaks to you and Mm -hmm. so the chapters are each a different teaching goal Mm -hmm. but the goals are also based on a progression and that progression means that if you don't have some success with a goal toward the beginning Mm -hmm. of the hierarchy or progression of goals it's going to be really hard to set yourself up for success um, for those goals so the the first foundational goal Mm-hmm. is how to be happy and healthy in a demanding job. Yes, yes. And yes. that's not a it's not a selfish goal. You're not being self-indulgent. No. It's, as you said, it's not a marshmallow goal. It's not like yeah. a fluffy thing. Yeah. If you are not finding ways to take care of yourself in teaching, you're not going to stick around to get good at all of the other things. No, absolutely not. Absolutely. You're not, not going to have the energy. Uh, and then when you And I think veteran teachers might choose that goal. I think new teachers might choose that goal. Mm -hmm. I think we might return to that goal whenever we need to in a really tough year. Yeah. And I joke with teachers, I'm like, I have no authority, but, you know, I'll be your fairy godmother and grant you permission to stay in that goal as long as you need to. Totally, totally. So that you want to get good at all the other good stuff. But the reason that hierarchy of goals to me seems so instrumental in helping teachers feel good and be good is that in my experience now working with teachers, much like students, I can't help you get better as a writer if you're not first just developing that writing muscle of being engaged, Mm -hmm. right? First, you have to be able to just write with some Mm -hmm. stamina and engagement. So much like that with teachers, there are a couple of chapters or goals about management. Yeah. And not management in that top-down, compliant-based sense. No, not at all, yeah. But management through the new research, right, where we're finding it's all through routines, rituals, mm-hmm. relationships, not a not a top-down punitive approach. Mm-hmm. But that unless you have that management in place, it's really hard to get good at, say, independent work where students oh, totally. can go off and do the independent work. And that's all that thing of switching the balance, right? When I go yeah. into a classroom, one of the big things I'm looking for is who is working the hardest. Mm-hmm. Very often. It's, it's the, the teacher. teacher. I say that all the time. Oh. You are working harder than the kids yes. and you need to knock that off. Yeah. They're <laughs> totally. exhausting themselves, yeah. right? The yes. End of yes. the day, I see them and they're like, they need a nap and a Snickers yeah. and an espresso yeah. and they're depleted. And the kids, they're like bouncing out of the building. Yes. They have so much energy. Yes, they we, do. We had to flip that balance. I know. So we can't get there though, unless we have management in place. Mm-hmm. And then when we can shift that balance and they're working independently mm-hmm. now we can get to feedback which john hattie and others say is one of those game changers in the classroom mm-hmm. when we can give immediate feedback to each and every learner in the room mm-hmm. we will see a year and a half to two years worth of growth in one academic year yeah yeah but you can't get to feedback unless they're working independently right and that's what i appreciate so much about this book because um i got it before I committed to having you on the show because I wanted to see how you thought about teaching. Um, There's a lot of people, as you know, out there who think a mile wide and an inch deep and who don't necessarily practice uh, what we know to be good teaching, right, in their work with adults. When I saw this book, I was like, oh, 
this is a teacher right here. Like this is undeniable because the scaffolding is so clear. Like you said, you're starting with the bottom of the pyramid and you're working up. You have these really cool differentiation points for different grade level bands, for different experiences. And so if I'm a new teacher or if I'm a veteran teacher, I mean, it's so comprehensive. It it just made me really happy. I just needed you to like, I recognize like this woman is a pro when I read this book because I just felt like, okay, there's depth here. There's understanding here. There's generosity here. Thank you. Thank you, Nicole. Yes. It's so lovely of you to say. Yes, no, it's but it's a book of teaching strategies, right? You don't have to read yes. it cover to cover. Teachers right. can dip in. And as you said, I try to make it really practical. Mm-hmm. But I do want to highlight for any listener who might not have the book or and you don't need to buy it, but um, that those strategies are like a best hits album that yeah. I have compiled from brilliant educators. So it's not, I've tried them all. They're all vetted, but yes, I yes. didn't necessarily come up with these strategies, right. right? Many, many of them are pulled from those books that, you know, those books on your, on your PD shelf that you just yeah. go to again and again, yeah, right? Yeah, and yeah. so it's like a best hits album of all those super effective strategies yeah. that really move the dial. Well, um, and like you said, we can look at different chapters depending on what we want to work on. Right. Which I really appreciate that. I think the great thing about this book is you can look at it through any lens, however you come to it. Mm -hmm. And um, it's just a structure, right? It's a skeleton. You have to put the meat on the bones. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I really believe that. I don't believe there's one one way to be a great teacher at all. And I think teachers need to be encouraged to bring their, you know, the expert is in them. Mm-hmm. It is in them. But what are the, as you said, what are the scaffolds that we all need to, mm-hmm. to help that expert emerge? Mm-hmm. And so often I see teachers just overwhelmed and frustrated by, again, some of those foundational goals. They're trying, you know, so when I mentioned, for instance, um, that one of my first schools, first school that I taught at for a long time, the, the initiative was group, group work and talk. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I tried so hard. I bought books. I visited mentor teachers' classrooms who did a beautiful job with talk. Mm-hmm. I went to PD. I did everything. But I fell flat on my face because mm. I didn't know to go back to things like routines and rituals. Yeah, yeah. That I hadn't, yeah. I had assumed that older kids knew how to sit in a group and talk. I needed mm-hmm. to do that. I had decent, so the fourth goal is relationships. Mm-hmm. I had decent relationships with my students but I hadn't invested enough time to make sure they all trusted one another. Mm-hmm. So they weren't going to take mm-hmm. risks next to these kids that they didn't trust. That's right. And then I hadn't spent enough time in the fifth goal, which is independent practice. Mm-hmm. So I could sit with a group and they were on task, but everyone behind me, yes, were, forget it. They were done. Free for all. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And so that, again, is that idea that teachers can find the goal that's right for them. And mm-hmm. that's why at the beginning of every goal, there's a little self-assessment checklist. Mm-hmm, and I sort of mm-hmm. put in the first person of, is this the right goal for me? Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. And I think teachers should be trusted and, and uh, empowered mm-hmm. to do some reflection and self-assessment mm-hmm. and choose a goal that they want to work on and that they need to work on. Mm-hmm. And to be allowed to sort of focus on that one goal until mm-hmm. they feel like they have some success in it before they're asked to take on everything else. Yeah. You know, it reminds me, of, um, have you read the research on how people learn? 
Well, tell me more about what yeah, you're thinking. So I'm, I, it just makes me think this book is set up really in a way that relates to that. That, that you know, that they've come out with a second edition that's like 500 pages long and there's 12 things. But I like to go back to the original, just like the foundational three. One being uh, we all come to this work with skills, right? Mm-hmm. Students or teachers, we all come with skills and we need to dip into those funds of knowledge. I think of it like Velcro, right? There's a soft side and a scratchy side. And unless you attach them, you're just like scratching people's faces. Like you have to find their soft side to attach. And the second one is conceptual framework That's that students and teachers for that matter, they need a framework. They need a, they need, uh, a container a story. What's the story? What are the big ideas? What are the small ideas? And what do they all add up to? And the third thing is the opportunity to be metacognitive, to choose my goal and to evaluate my progress toward my goal. I think a lot of teachers say, okay, let's set some goals, but then we don't set aside that extra five minutes at the end of the period to say, okay, how did we do with our goals today? And so they become empty, right? So this metacognition is a really important piece. And so with those three things in place, now we can build around it. And and it feels like you kind of did that intuitively with this book, that there's all three of those things are in place. Tell me why it's called The Joyful Teacher. Because when I saw the title, I was like, oh, yeah, I need more joy. I want to talk about joy. Let me get this. And then I got this pedagogy book, by and large. So tell me why. And I totally get it after I read it. But tell the listeners, why did you call it The Joyful Teacher? I, I think... First of all, that joy needs to be a legitimate priority in Mm -hmm. our teaching lives. That joy and learning are not mutually exclusive. Right, right, right. Teachers can feel happy in their job. And that Mm -hmm. if they're not, I think there's almost become this narrative that we rely on, that good teachers are the ones who get there first and they leave their last and they devote themselves. They almost are martyrs for the job. And some of that could be, you know, you can work really hard and you can, uh, and it might be that you're putting in all hours, but that I also think it is, again, it's not an extra to be happy at your job. It's not, it's not a, it's not a luxury. It's what allows us to want to stay in the profession. Mm -hmm. And I think when I see teachers, because I see this now, I see these teachers who really love what they do. Mm-hmm. They don't complain about the kids. They're not, they might vent about, you know, sure. something going on. Of course, we're all human. But by and large, they really focus on the things that make them love their job. And I see that they're also the ones then who have the energy mm-hmm. to keep learning about teaching. Yeah. They're yeah. constantly shifting their practice. They're constantly asking others, how'd you do that? Mm-hmm, How'd you get mm-hmm. your kids writing so much? What'd you do? Mm-hmm. Can I come in and watch you? Uh, but they also are, are kind to themselves. Mm-hmm. And so I think that I want teachers to feel, uh, first of all, that permission to prioritize them feeling good at their job, whatever yeah. that means. And of course, that's not a strategy in the book, but I am not going to judge you. If you need to take your lunch or your prep to turn off all the lights and close that little blind oh my in your gosh. window yes, yes. and hide at your desk and not let anyone know you're in there yes, so you don't get yes. swamped, you know, into a coverage, yeah. you do that. You yeah. come to your car. I don't care. Yeah, right? yeah. You, do, you do what needs to get done, but that you prioritize joy. And then the other part of the joyful teacher is a bit of a play on um, the joy of cooking, Mm. that I think that there's 
a sense that, you know, I remember starting to cook for myself and yeah. <laughs> again, failing a lot. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. And you do, as you say, need a framework. I want to go to an easy resource uh, and I might do really gourmet stuff later on and try all different kinds of things, but I want to go to resource that I know works mm-hmm. and I don't mm-hmm. have to go through every, you know, teach essentially like pouring through teachers pay teachers, right? Right, right. Oh, I yeah. wish everyone would stop doing that. I want to give you, and you can find your own resources, right? You can find mm-hmm. your own go-to place, whether it's a website or a mentor Ideally, it's all of these things. Right. But the idea was that teachers had a resource mm-hmm. that could simplify that struggle or eliminate that struggle and simplify their search, uh, where, again, I've sort of compiled these strategies that can help you feel effective. Mm. So, uh, so again, you know, not necessarily joy like you're getting a foot massage and drinking a margarita, right, although I right. think teachers should do that too. On their yeah, <laughs> they should, they should, they should. But it's it's interesting, you know, this notion of what can bring you joy is being good at your job. Yeah. And I think we forget that. You know, we, 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 we think about, and same thing with self-care. I can't stand this notion Me of, too. you have to take care of yourself. Of Me course too. I have to take care of myself, right. but when am I going to do that? I have 200 yes. kids, right? Yes. And so I like to think about community care. You know, what can we do for one another? Well, how can I speak to my community about what I need? And, and it's a similar way you're looking at joy. Like, of course, joy is fun and laughter and uh, you know, happy hour on Friday night. It's all those things. Right. It's also being able to go to bed at night knowing I did a yes. good job today. Yes. I love that. I love that. That is the switch. And those are the teachers that I find want to stay in teaching as of they course. are feeling good at their job. And it's the same with students. When I realize that it's actually condescending to them and it's not helping them when I just say, oh, you're doing great when they're oh, not doing the great. Worst. It's the they worst. know it. I know yeah. it, right? Yeah. I'm not doing yeah. them any favors. Right. And so it is. Yes, it's exactly that. That The joy comes from feeling like you taught today. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and the way the book is written, too, it's not condescending, you know, and it's not like full of shoulds. Mm-hmm. Shoulds, I think that I think should is the killer of joy sometimes. <sighs> right. This, so when we think about like this perfectionism that you mentioned, being in the earliest, staying the latest, this like puritanical view yes. of what it means to be effective. And it comes with all of these shoulds. I'm, I'm wondering, as, as you were working toward this book, as you were working through this book, did this notion of perfectionism come up for you? Did you struggle as you got were going through this as a teacher in the writing of this book, in your work with teachers? Do you have to battle that back, this notion of should mm-hmm. and perfectionism, to make room for mm-hmm. joy? That's such a good point. And I do see this in a lot of teachers that they go into teaching with incredible expectations and good intentions. Mm -hmm. And when they fall short of that, they're really tough on themselves. Yeah, yeah. And what I see every teacher doing is giving tremendous compassion and care for their students. Mm -hmm. I don't always see them being very good at turning that back to themselves. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So their student might not be doing very well. They might be reading and writing. A lot of my work is in literacy, not all, Mm -hmm. but for instance, reading and writing well below grade level. And a Mm -hmm. teacher would never, they would never um, 
shame. Be shame. Yeah. That, yeah. And yet they shame themselves mm-hmm. for not doing mm-hmm. that. And so the mm-hmm. bar that they set for themselves versus what they set for their students is so disproportionate. Mm-hmm. And I wish that, again, teachers could set a goal that's right for them based on where they are at. Mm-hmm. And that schools also, of course, you're not going to let go. You're not going to just not grade anything because you haven't set that goal for yourself on how to give, you know, summative grades or even better formative assessment, yeah, right? right? That right. might not be your goal. Of course, you're still doing it, mm-hmm. but you're not expecting that feedback to be phenomenal yet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're going to do what mm-hmm. you can, mm-hmm. but you might be looking at instead your classroom environment. Yeah, I was amazed in research of highly effective classrooms, for instance, how instrumental your classroom environment is. Totally, yeah. And I underestimated it as a teacher of older students because mm. I was under that myth that, oh, well, they're older. When you go to college classrooms, you know, there's nothing about that environment with anchor charts on the wall. Yeah. And of course, environment turns out to be much more than what's on the walls. Totally. It's very little to do with if you have a Pinteresty classroom. Mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm. You know, are you addressing microaggressions? Mm-hmm. Are you helping kids feel safe? Do they know where to go? Is the space organized? Yeah, uh, yeah. So again, that idea that if teachers could feel the permission to set a goal for themselves, even if it's I'm going to set up my classroom and I'm going to make sure it's a place where kids feel safe and mm-hmm. welcomed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know what? My group talk and collaboration might not be great this year. That's, mm-hmm. I'm okay with that. Right. Uh, that that perfectionism is what I would like to um I would like to do away with. But as you mentioned, I think so much of that is community-based, that it Mm -hmm. really helps when administrators are giving teachers the space to get better at things, but not everyone is getting better at the same thing at the same time. Right. Unless, God forbid, we focus on something and we stay on that thing (laughs) as a community. Well, that's a concept. That, That would be amazing if we could do that. Yes. Okay, so I've been thinking about this idea about a joy challenge, which we had talked mm. about a little bit. And and I, I really want to think about going into this school year where we're looking for joy, right? You know, there's this um, all the, the thoughts about when you look for something to be grateful for, then you find things to be grateful for. And and I believe in that and have experienced that. I, I, I wonder how that might look for joy. When I look for something to feel joyful about, will I find more joy in my in my mm. life. I'm, I'm wondering, do you have any ideas for like a joy challenge? I have a thought that teachers uh-huh. could try. Yeah. And I'll throw out a question uh, that they might answer before they choose if this is a good challenge for them. Okay. And I want them to think about the last time they left the building. They got mm-hmm. in their car to drive home or they got on the subway or walked. Mm-hmm. And they left the building. And I want them to think, if as they left the building, they finished their teaching day, did they, maybe not actually physically patted themselves in the back, yeah. but did they check one thing that happened that day that went well? Yeah. Maybe yeah. they got through their whole lesson. Mm-hmm. Maybe they used their prep to go visit kids outside of class and they just like, you know, went through one of the specials and saw the kids mm-hmm. doing gym or music or art Mm -hmm. maybe uh maybe they saw a kid who had a little bit of an aha moment Mm -hmm. but if they left the building marking something that went well Mm -hmm. I'm gonna say this challenge actually isn't for you Mm -hmm. (laughs) that they're Mm -hmm. okay but Mm -hmm. if they didn't do that Mm -hmm. if they left the building 
and they thought about the things that did not happen. Mm-hmm. And they were focusing on the deficits mm-hmm. of the emails that didn't get responded to, the grading that didn't happen, the lesson that didn't get finished. Uh, if they were sort of, again, like putting on that hair shirt and that yeah. martyrdom of everything that didn't happen, then I do think uh, they could try this one thing. And they could try to, um, it's a two-part challenge. So if they find that they're leaving the building and they're sort of cataloging everything that didn't go well, Mm -hmm. um, you know, what I would love to tell you is I I would love them to just make a point of going home and telling whoever they go home to, a Mm -hmm. partner, pets, plants, kids, whoever, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that you say something that went well. And then you say it again, right? Because mm-hmm. sometimes mm-hmm. first time doesn't really sink into anyone, including mm-hmm. yourself. Mm-hmm. But that's hard to do. So the challenge would be this. I want to give them a strategy, right? Because I'm really okay. big on strategies. Yes. And the strategy would be to jot down one or two of your core beliefs. And I bet teachers have a lot of core beliefs. And oh, a core yeah. belief is just whatever you really value as a teacher. And it doesn't even have to be profound. I mean, it might be something like, I want every student to know um, that I care about them, or I want every student to feel their potential. But it might even be like, I want to bring some humor or lightness into my classroom Mm because the world feels like kind of a scary place. Mm -hmm. Or I want to instill a sense of curiosity. And then to think of some very easy, replicable actions that you could do to back up that core belief. Mm -hmm, Because mm -hmm. the research that I found very interesting is that in order to feel joy in your life, if your actions don't line up to your core beliefs, it's almost Mm -hmm. impossible. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that the more you shift your daily actions to align with your core beliefs, the more joy you're going to feel. Mm. And I know teachers, there's a lot we do that we can't control. Mm-hmm. You can't control every action. You've got to go to that staff meeting. You've got to put grades in the grade book. And you might not really value grading, mm-hmm. but you got to do that anyway. But there are still, time is really our, our biggest capital as teachers, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That is the biggest thing that we can do is we can make choices with how we spend our time. And so if your core belief is, say, to help your students know that you care, mm-hmm. that you come up with a few things you could do that are easy to do. Mm-hmm. each day mm-hmm. you might not mm-hmm. get to them all but have a few and maybe it's that you're going to do a soft start in your class where kids whip around and say a couple adjectives about how they're feeling mm-hmm. or maybe you start your class with good news where you share good news from the world or they share a quick good bit of tidbit I mean it could be like yeah there was a pop tart left in the box great that's your good news right <laughs> yeah or you really make sure you get every kid's name and everyone knows everyone else's name Mm-hmm. whatever mm-hmm. your move is going to be maybe mm-hmm. the student of the week but you do those things and you try to protect those actions that align to your core beliefs as much as possible mm. and then when you get in your car ask yourself did I do one of those things mm-hmm. and if mm-hmm. you did that's a full stop that's a full stop yeah. that's your bar yeah. that's your bar you're going to jump over you got to that thing you protected it Mm-hmm. and try not to follow it up. But I find it's easier with teachers that they can catalog something that went well if they're also really clear on a couple of their core beliefs. Yeah, that makes so much sense. Um, do you know Elena Aguilar? Yes. 
Yeah. She does a lot of work. She just, uh, not just, it was probably three years ago, wrote a book called Onward. And um, she's got some exercises in there about cataloging your values and uh, as a tool for resilience. And, and it yeah. goes along right with what you're saying. We can't be joyful if we're not, again, and back to the metacognitive piece, right? We have to take a moment to know what our, our skills are, to know what our frame for growth is, and to be able to have a moment to assess ourselves on that. And when we're clear about our value and we take steps toward that value, then we can put those pieces together. And, and that, that's just genius and something I'd never even thought about, especially related to joy. I love that idea. And I'll just throw out there, another thing that's been really moving to me is watching teachers try that and try it with their students, Mm -hmm. um, where they've had students think about, what do you really care about? And of course, kids blow us away, right? Oh, yes, yes, yes. They're so compassionate and profound and thoughtful in their goals. Mm -hmm. And you can ask them, too, how are your daily actions aligning to those goals? Mm-hmm. And I will tell you nine times out of 10, when I've tried that with teens, they talk about how being on their phone all the time is not, not right. their core value. Right. And they have thought about other things they could do with their time. And it's just baby steps, like a little mm-hmm. bit, like I might not pick up my phone. I might talk to someone sitting next to me. Mm-hmm. I know mm-hmm. I'm trying this with, um, you, you would think I care tremendously about grocery shopping because I am at Trader Joe's like every other day. <laughs> I'm there all the time. I don't really care about grocery shopping. So I'm trying this grocery delivery service. Oh, good. It's a little more expensive, right? Yeah. But I'm doing it sometimes, and I'm really trying to consciously use that time to mm-hmm. um, to read more books that I can recommend to students. I've had the great privilege of working in several districts in the last year with a lot of first people and indigenous students, both in Canada and in Idaho and in upstate New York. And one of my beliefs is that kids should always see themselves reflected in some of the books that they read. And and that's, I I didn't come up with that. That's a whole mirrors and windows thing, but I didn't have a lot of books to recommend to mm-hmm. these students. And so mm-hmm. I am making a conscious choice to spend more time reading books that I can recommend to those kids where they see themselves reflected in those books. And man, that makes me feel good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so concrete. Yeah. And it's so good to see not only myself, but also others. Yes. Right. I, I've raised two sons and we always made it a point to read books about young girls too, because mm-hmm. they need to understand the depth and the humanity of not only people who look like them, but people who don't. So I, I'd love to see that that list. I think that would be really powerful for me to do some of my own reading. Okay, so we're going to bring our ourselves to the end. Two questions we ask ever, mm-hmm. all the guests. If you're walking into what you intend to be a great day of teaching, do you have a walk-up song? I'm going to out myself as an introvert who gets yes. easily overstimulated. Yes, and you know what yes. my walk-up song is? silence. <laughs> so I, we all know, especially middle, all schools, but they can be a lot of schools I work in are loud, chaotic yes. places. Yes. I was in a building last week and there were 20 teachers out and everybody had to take on a coverage. And so I met with a group of teachers in the gym while we covered six classes because all wow. the four teachers were out oh and God. it was deafening. And yeah. so I say, take a minute of quiet where you can get it. That's how That's I so walk funny. in. And I feel, again, I'm just thinking about how to go into that building with love. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I need the quiet. 
Well, you know, it's so funny. I think we're all an introverted bunch or maybe just the people I attract. But do you know how many people say something to that effect? Like, I don't have a song. I don't know. I just think quiet. Um, okay, so quick tip takeaway with this uh, podcast is called Copy Room Conversations because I always felt that these were the best conversations. You know, when the hum of the machine is going and we're slicing papers and we're excited about before school to get going with our day. So I'm wondering, you know, thinking back to your teaching days, knowing what you know now, what would be the thing you say on the way out the door to everybody who's getting ready for a good day of teaching? I have so many tips. Mm-hmm. And they're all, that's what the joyful teacher is. It's like all those quick tips. You don't have mm-hmm. to read pages. But after a conversation mm-hmm. and really thinking about that part of just prioritizing joy, mm-hmm. I'm choosing mm-hmm. a different tip. Okay. And mine is to start a happy file. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have one, if you don't have a physical folder where you throw those, if you teach younger students, you probably get a lot of those little love mm-hmm. letters like, oh, Miss Gordon, you're my favorite teacher. And mm-hmm. they give you a drawing and oh, it was just so delicious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you have those, you're keeping those. If you teach older students, you don't get as many of those, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you're still getting those moments that will feed you. Yeah in the form and it might not be a note it might not be a letter saying you changed my life Mm -hmm. it might be that kid who finally smiled Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or that kid who said yeah i finished that book Mm. um it might be that you cut off you get your you know your observation feedback and instead of glomming onto everything at the end where it's all the suggestions just cut that off just save the first part Mm -hmm. (laughs) put Mm -hmm. that in your happy file but the reason I say this is something that you were just mentioning about how we can almost help see more of the good when we're paying attention to it Mm -hmm. and what I find is that when we start a happy file and we're tucking in those even it might even be like if a parent says something in an email or a phone call print it out jot it down stick it in your file yeah yeah and the reason that it's so helpful it's not just that you can go through that file on a bad day Mm -hmm. and um it'll feed you it's because when you start paying attention to the good Mm -hmm. you see so much more of it yeah you see that oh my gosh that that crossing guard she smiles at me every morning when i come Mm -hmm. in no matter the weather Mm -hmm. And you Mm -hmm. jot that down and you, you know, you throw it in your happy file Mm -hmm. and you're going to notice it more. And even the funny things. And I would also just say like the tip is a little bit of listen for the funny things that they say. Oh God, it's the best. It's the best. I still still think about a student who asked me one of my first years I was teaching and she said, Miss Gordon, how old are you? And I said, well, I'm 23. And I thought she was going to say something like, oh, you know, how old are you? Because you're just such a magical teacher and you've changed my life. (laughs) And how'd you do that? So young. And instead she goes, oh, she goes, you mean I'm still going to be getting sits when I'm 23? Oh, Jesus. (laughs) Still makes me laugh. And I had to explain to her about adult acne and she was devastated, but we laughed about it. Right. And you know, the, the funny things kids say, like Mm -hmm. that will feed you. So jot them down. And then your eye starts seeing those things more. Your ear starts hearing them more. Um, So if you don't have a happy file, uh, you can go start one, you can start listening for it. And if you've got one that is filled and it's over brimming, think about ways that you can add to your colleagues happy files. Mm, I love that. I love that. That's lovely. 
Thank you. Thank you for the time this morning. Thank you for being here with us. I trust that this is not goodbye, but maybe we'll see you soon. I've loved being able to have the time and thank you for listening and, um, and connecting with me. I know it takes a lot of energy on top of your regular job to do that outreach. And I'm so glad you did reach out. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your time with us in the copy room. Whether you're on your way to school, on your way home, walking your dog, or doing your household chores, I wish you a day of letting down and letting go. Remembering your birthright is to operate from a place of joy, even if your heart's broken. Perhaps especially when your heart's broken. Thank you to Dirt Path Publishing for producing this podcast, and to you for listening.